right, Brown Bears fans, it's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter. Bill Zimmerman with you, and we are coming at you as we get ready for opening night in the NFL, where the Chicago Bears will welcome in the Green Bay Packers to kick off the NFL's 100th season. It has been a long time coming. I have been waiting for this day since Cody Parkey's double doink. I need to get that out of my head and get fresh football that matters with the Chicago Bears, and I cannot tell you how thrilled I am that Bears football is back. And we've got a guest today to preview the Packers game, and that's none other then Peter Bukowski. You probably know Peter Bukowski on Twitter, at Peter underscore Bukowski. He is a Packers beat writer. He works for SB Nation, Pro Football Weekly. He's kind of all over the place. He's got a podcast, Locked on Packers. And he's made himself quite a bit of a Bears troll this past offseason to the point that he has driven many Bears fans to insanity levels. And he's going to be on the podcast, so I'm hoping to have a spirited debate with him talk about this Bears-Packers game coming up. But before we get to Peter, a couple things on my mind, and I want to start with something that just never goes away, and that is the national hate for the Chicago Bears. It continues to roll on. You would have thought a 12-4 and record and massive improvement and Matt Nagy being coach of the year and all pros with Khalil Mack and Eddie Jackson and pro bowlers all over the place, including Mitch Trubisky, alternate or not. Mitch Trubisky was a pro bowl quarterback last year. All the improvement we saw Trubisky from his rookie year to his second year, all the great things Nagy did, all the people Ryan Pace brought in. You would have thought that maybe some national media, and there's some, there's some, Lewis Riddick, I see you. There's a few national media people out there who understand what the Bears are building, but when you start looking around at NFL previews, what do you see here the last couple weeks? Everybody's pegging the Bears to be the team that regresses, drops a record maybe down to 8-8, eight and eight, misses the playoffs, goes back to being a mediocre football team. Well, these are the same people that had the Chicago Bears at 4-12, and 5-11 last year. These are the same people that called Mitch Trubisky a bust after one year. These are the same people who now say that the Chicago Bears defense cannot exist without Vic Fangio. These people are people who can be ignored. That's exactly what these people are because – they're, they're people who, who have a narrative about the Chicago Bears, and it's easy to form one because the Bears have been so bad for so long, it's just easy to assume that this team will not continue down the path it is to success, building a great team, hopefully a Super Bowl championship team, but definitely one that appears ready to contend for Super Bowls on a year-in and year-out basis. They've got such a great foundation offensively and defensively. They have so many guys locked up for several years on good contracts, but everybody wants to come down on Mitch Trubisky and say he is not an NFL quarterback, and I get it that Mitch Trubisky has flaws. And where Mitch Trubisky was last year, maybe he wasn't good enough to win a Super Bowl yet at that point. But I still want to know from the haters, so to speak, why you look at Mitch Trubisky and don't see a quarterback that's developing. Is it just because you saw the Packer game in week one? 
Maybe you saw a couple of the other national games early on, maybe the Seahawks game where Trubisky did not look sharp, and you just said, well, that's the quarterback. He stinks. He's not any good. Goodbye, Mitch Trubisky. Or did you watch the football games? Did you watch him explode against the Tampa Bay Bucks and the Detroit Lions? Did you see the command of the offense he had throughout those last three games? Did you watch the fourth quarter of the Philadelphia Eagles game and see how good Trubisky was with the game on the line. Mitch Trubisky has shown that he's an NFL quarterback. He is not a bust. He is not a guy who's going to be a backup quarterback. Let's not forget that Bill Barnwell said that there was a good chance Mitch Trubisky would not be on the team in his fourth year. Bill Barnwell last year was thinking that this season may be Mitch's last in Chicago. That's a ridiculous statement. Bill Barnwell is supposed to know what he's talking about. We've seen this time and time again about Mitch Trubisky. And it's at a point where, at this point now, you just have to dismiss it. I, I would get worked up and worked up and worked up about all these people coming down on Mitch Trubisky. And I said, did you actually watch the game? What, what are you actually criticizing? But at this point, you, you just let it just shrug off your shoulders because there's no point to engage in the constant criticism of Trubisky. That's completely unfair to him. Yes, he's got flaws. Yes, he needs help with his deep ball. Yes, he needs some help with some accuracy, but he's making better decisions. He's got a good command of the offense. The team loves him, and that should not be understated when you have a quarterback that the team rallies around and how much that can help the team. His ability to make plays with his feet, his escapability in the pocket, there are so many positives that you can see with Mitch Trubisky. I don't know why it is, well, let's just focus on one or two things and say that he's not going to be a good quarterback. How good is Mitch Trubisky going to be? I don't know. Brett Coleman does a great job with film breakdowns. He doesn't know where Mitch Trubisky is going to be. I mean, he said ceiling Steve Young, floor Alex Smith. Now, I'll take Alex Smith as the floor, but that is a massive gap for a quarterback that's got two years of tape under the belt because he is inconsistent and he is difficult to figure out. But at least recognize what Trubisky can be and what he is all Already. And that's the problem with a lot of the national media is I don't think they watch him closely enough. And maybe they, they saw the Rams game. They saw the Packers game. They saw the Seahawks game. And they saw the first half of the Eagles game. And they decided he can't play. And that's a ridiculous statement. But that is what continues to happen with this Bears team. Now, if Mitch Trubisky is the same quarterback he was last year, then we're going to have to, you know, we have an idea of what kind of quarterback he's going to be. Maybe he'll continue to improve a little bit, but he's not going to probably get to those massive ceilings because after, you know, three years, four years, you kind of really know where your quarterback is and what he's going to be. But if Trubisky makes another step forward, and we've talked about it on this podcast a lot, that in a Andy Reid offensive system, that second year, we see a big jump. Carson Wentz showed you a big jump. Alex Smith showed you a big jump. Patrick Mahomes, his massive year last year was the second year in the Andy Reid system. We see this. So there is reason to believe that Mitch Trubisky will take a big step forward this year. That will He will make better decisions with the football. He will have a better command of the offense. And if that happens, the Bears offense will become a top 10 offense in the NFL. And with the defense being no worse than a top five defense in the NFL, you cannot be a top five defense and a top 10 offense and not be a top 10 team. Statistically, it's just impossible. So 
If Trubisky makes a jump, the Bears, despite a difficult schedule, which we all recognize as a difficult schedule, there's no reason to think that the Chicago Bears will not be 10 and 6, 11 and 5, 12 and 4, and right back in the playoffs. But let's move on from that and let's bring in our guest. I mentioned him at the beginning of the podcast, SB Nation, Locked On Packers podcast. He is Peter Bukowski, and he joins us now. Peter, Bill Zimmerman, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm excited for this. I'm uh, I'm doing very well. I'm excited for this too. And and let me let's let's just get the cat out of the bag right away and just ask your persona on Twitter, your your Packer coverage that you do and and everything. Do you purposely troll Bears fans on Twitter? Uh, hmm. Uh, I would say I I do not tweet things. I do not tweet analysis that I think will or that is false or that is not true to who I am. There are certainly things that I will tweet specifically to poke the bear, so to speak. But I, I would never offer analysis that I didn't believe in specifically to troll Bears fans. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, that makes sense. So, so for example, you, you recently, I think it was maybe yesterday or the day before, put out a tweet that B.J. Goodson had mm-hmm. a better PFF grade than Roquan Smith and Eric Hendricks. So you're not necessarily saying you believe he's a better linebacker than Roquan Smith. You're just going to throw out a statistic that you don't have to marry your name to and just rile up the Bears fans with, with that. Is, is that, is that. Am I accurate in that, that assessment? Yeah, and what I'll say is in, in a situation like that, you know, I, I just happened to be looking through the pro football focus numbers, saw that, and saw that he was higher than I thought he would be and just thought, okay, what are, who are some names that I can compare him to? You, you, you pick guys that you think your audience is going to know. And so it just was sort of, for me, it's icing on the cake that it would probably annoy some Bears fans that I would tweet that. What is always amusing to me is you get people who are mad that, like I said, I thought he was better. I was like, no, I, I even put it in the tweet. Take from this what you will. I mean, you, you should know that my tongue is sort of firmly in my cheek when I'm tweeting that. So you think Roquan Smith is a better linebacker than B.J. Goodson? Of course. Okay. Yes. Just make it sure. Roquan Smith. I love Roquan Smith. <laughs> I got a chance to interview Roquan Smith. I loved him coming out of college. I, I thought he would have been the perfect Packer. And when the Bears took him, it was, uh, it was I'll say, disappointing. All right, fair enough. So now, now obviously you've gone back and forth with Bears fans a lot this entire offseason, and of course it's been culminating to what will be Thursday, Bears-Packers to kick off the NFL 100th season. And, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll preview the game a little bit here, but you know, looking at the overall rosters and of course Aaron Rodgers and a new, new coach and everything that the Packers have and where the Bears are coming off of what was a surprisingly successful season, many, many people didn't see that coming, Coming into this year, which team do you expect better from this year? Who do you think will have a better season? Well, I think the pragmatic approach to that is to say, until further notice, the Bears are the favorite. Uh, we have to see what the Packers are. We have to see what this offense is. We have to see how big an upgrade guys like Zadarius and Preston Smith are, uh, how big an upgrade someone like Adrian Amos is, Darnell Savage. Uh, and, and can the cornerback stay healthy defensively? If Devontae Adams gets hurt and has to miss a couple games, can the offense keep going? What is Matt LaFleur's system going to look like? Can he call plays? Can, I mean, there's so many questions around the Packers. 
I think when you look at the upside, you say, yeah, this can be an 11 or a 12 win team uh, if everything goes right. But there are plenty of ways it can go wrong. And I think the same is true for the Bears. Uh, while I don't expect them to be a 12-win team again, I think they're going to come back to earth a little bit on defense. I don't know what to expect from their offense. I think until we see that Green Bay is definitely better or, or gives us uh, hints that they are better, we have, to, we have to operate on the premise that the Bears are the favorites as the defending champ. All right. And since, since you brought up LaFleur and, and Rodgers here, that's been, I think, the focal point of the national media is the lafleur rogers relationship. You know, rogers had that quote several months ago about, you know, I don't know why they would take audibling away from me kind of thing, which, of course, got everyone riled up. Is mm-hmm. that relationship, do you think, better than it's being played out? Or do you think that the that Rodgers, who can be difficult to coach, I think we would all agree with that, and, and maybe has earned the right to be able to call his own shots as one of the greats of all time, do you think there could be some conflict there? Well, you always think there could be conflict. If Bill Belichick and Tom Brady can have conflict, anyone can have conflict. Uh, I think conflict is not inherently bad. What you want is constructive conflict, and you want competitive conflict. You want people who are butting heads because what they want to do at all costs is win. And what you don't want is you don't want conflict that is personal. You don't want conflict that is counterproductive to your team. And I guess we don't we don't have enough information to know you know where that relationship is right now. I think if, if you're going to play body language doctor and you're going to read the quotes and you're going to do all that stuff, I think that the you know really most of the evidence suggests that they have a very good working relationship at this point. Uh, Matt Lafleur said earlier this week that Aaron Rodgers has total freedom at the line of scrimmage, and this is an offense where you know you might have two or three plays called in the huddle. And you can kill to one, and then there's another one, and then, you know, now we, we found out Aaron Rodgers can basically do whatever he wants at the line of scrimmage. Was that uh, a knuckling under by Matt LaFleur to allow Aaron Rodgers to do that? I think most uh, observers would say, no, you want Aaron Rodgers to have the ability to get into the perfect play if, if he can do that. What you don't want, and, and this was, you know, part of the reporting from, from what happened last year with Mike McCarthy, was Rodgers basically ignoring his coach or, you know, a play call comes in and he goes, you know, screw that, we're not running that play, it's a bad play. What you want is Rodgers to buy into what Matt LaFleur is doing. And if, if you just sort of read the, the tea leaves and the quotes from Rodgers this offseason, he really likes this offense. Uh, apparently that, that two seasons ago when Sean McVay and the, and the Rams just picked the Vikings apart, that might have even been last year, on a Thursday night, uh, the, apparently the Packers' locker room was like, wow. That is really cool. That would be a fun offense to play in last year against San Francisco. C.J. Beathard looked really good uh, in a game against the Packers, and they're on the sidelines going, this offense is really, really good. So they're, they're interested in that. I think what they need is some early success uh, so that everyone buys in and, and they understand, okay, you know, Matt LaFleur has a plan here, uh, and, and it's worth following, so let's all get on the, the rope pulling in the same direction. Now, now, do you th- believe? I know there was a lot with the uh, with the piece that came out with Rodgers and and, and McCarthy with Tyler Dunn, and, and a lot of people said, you know, you know, people came out to support it. A lot of people said there's a lot of hogwash in there. But the one thing, and I don't want to get into whether it's true or not. Let, let's move on past that. But the one thing I thought that that to me seemed very credible, 
at, towards the end of the article, they talked about the, the new Packers brass and kind of how Rodgers basically had full reign with Ted Thompson. He could do whatever he wanted. And the, the Packers' new front office is kind of trying to rein him in and put together a team that they want and make sure that Ro Rodgers is on board, but Rodgers isn't calling shots. Do you think that's accurate? Well, I mean, I, like you said, I don't want to undercut the veracity of that reporting. Um, I, don't, I don't have any reason to doubt that reporting. I think if you are the, the Packers' uh, you know, brass, so to speak, Mark Murphy has taken a little bit more of a, a forward-facing role in terms of shaping this team, and I think he did that out of necessity. I, I think they were a little bit of a floundering franchise, and they admitted it much uh, when they when they fired Mike McCarthy and then they hired Matt Lafleur. You know, you heard multiple times from Murphy and, and new GM Brian Gutekunst. He's, he's this is you know his second season now. They wanted increased accountability. They wanted increased urgency. They wanted to weed out root and stem the complacency that had gotten into this franchise. And, and you wonder, I mean, I think it's fair to wonder if that complacency had extended to Aaron Rodgers uh, with, you know, Mike McCarthy and him just going, look, this is, this is the same old stuff. We run it every week and it doesn't work. And now I have to go out and I have to try and win this game by myself. Uh, you know, I, I think Rodgers was frustrated with the, the front office, not bringing in, you know, more veterans to help out. I know the coaches were frustrated by that. I think a lot of the players were frustrated by that. Uh, and, and you want to make sure that your star player is on board, but you also want to make sure that, that he's in line. You know, Tim Duncan is an all-time great, and Popovich will tell you this, Greg Popovich, that the rest of the Spurs fell in line because Pop could coach Tim Duncan hard. And Bill Belichick starts every season with a cut-up of Tom Brady's worst plays just to set the tone that everyone is coachable, everyone is on the same level, and everyone's mistakes will be called out. I, I think, you know, that, that sort of accountability, whether it matters to Rodgers or not, matters to your team culture. And so, you know, someone like Matt LaFleur, he is as detail-oriented as any coach in the league. Even on a staff with Kyle Shanahan and, and uh, Sean McVay, he was the detail guy. And so he's going he's gonna to care about those details. He's going to be on Rodgers about progression rates. He's going to be on Rodgers about footwork. And, you know, I, I think as long as Rodgers is willing to say, you know, I, I, I'm willing to do what it takes to, to make this team better and make them a Super Bowl contender again, I, I think that is, that is where you can say, you know, Rodgers has the potential to get back to that late career far play that Mike McCarthy brought out of him. There's some really nice symmetry there if Matt LaFleur is able to bring that out of him. All right. Well, and, and as you kind of talk about the the new attitude and and of the Packers front office and and, and everything and and what they're trying to accomplish, looking at the defense here, a lot of new pieces, specifically with the pass rush. Do you think the Smith Smith Gary trio of of pass rushing? Do you think that's going to have a lot of success bringing pressure this year? Well, what I think it allows Mike Patton to do is be a little bit more uh, creative. And I, I think last year he was really hamstrung by a group up front that could not create pressure with four or five bodies. The Bears, you know, they are so they're so great on the back end because of what they can do post snap disguising stuff in Vic Fangio's defense. Because when you have Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks and Leonard Floyd and guys who can get after the quarterback and you don't need to bring pressure. That makes it so much more flexible on the back end. Mike Patton's defense, yes, he has designer blitzes, and they work, by the way. But 
what you need to be able to do is not blitz. So the Packers could not generate consistent pressure. When they, when they were generating pressure, they were getting sacks. They had one of the best sack rates in football last year. What they didn't do is generate pressure when they weren't creating sacks. So Mike Patton can dial up pressure. What, what they needed some help with was giving their secondary that extra split second to, to make a play on the ball or create that pressure uh, that, that forces a quarterback to make an off-target throw or throw it before he's ready. When you can do that with just four guys, I think that allows Mike Patton to be a little bit more creative on the back end with coverage disguises uh, and doing some of the stuff that, that, frankly, that Vic Fangio's defense does, and that is disguise pre-snap, disguise post-snap, and, and get quarterbacks guessing where pressure is coming from. When you, when you don't have to bring pressure to create pressure, uh, then it makes those blitz packages even more effective. So you're, the hope, if you're the Packers, is that, that that is the bigger impact, that you can just line up Zadarius Smith against anyone and say uh, he can win that matchup. And I, I think a lot of people do not know how good Zadarius Smith was. He was someone that in the in the offseason I said, someone if Baltimore's not going to pay that guy, someone should because he's really good. Um, and it just happened to be the Packers that did that. Uh, I said that before free agency. I was I was said this is this is going to be the underrating signing of the season. I was surprised he got the money that he did, but I think he can be a really good player. And if the Packers secondary does stay healthy, this this defense's ability to rush with four and create pressure with four uh, to me holds the key to this defense being you know, an upper half of the league defense. Yeah, and I think that's fair, but specifically here, you know, Zadari Smith, Preston Smith, we'll, we'll, we'll see how they work with Patton. Now, Rashawn Gary, a rookie preseason does not make a career, but he, mm-hmm. he he has looked a little a little lost out there. A lot of people kind of questioned where the Packers took him. You know, I, I think a lot of people weren't exactly sure if that was the right pick at the right time. Are you concerned with Gary for this season and moving forward? Well, it was a pick that I didn't love when the Packers made it. And, you know, I, I went on my podcast and said so. I said so on Twitter. But I also I, I couched it by saying if you're going to take a swing in the top 15, take it on a premium position player, a pass rusher with supreme physical tools, and believe that believe in your player development. Uh, Packers linebackers coach Mike Smith had Rashawn Gary as his top pass rusher in the draft. So... You know, I think that speaks volumes about what the Packers thought about Rashawn Gary. He's not he's not ready though, and he's playing a new position. You know, outside linebacker is not where he played. He played a lot of six technique in, at Michigan, where he's lined up and has to take on the tackle and or the tight end, uh, basically the foundation of their run defense. And if you talk to his defensive coordinator at Michigan, he'll tell you, you know, he did exactly what we wanted him to do, and that was free up other people to make plays because we knew he was good enough to do it. We knew he was good enough to eat double teams and free up Devin Bush to make plays and chase Winovich and other guys. So it's going to be a work in progress for him as a pass rusher. That's where he you know, still needs some work. He is a really good run defender and has flashed a ton in practice when he just has one thing to think about. He can be really good. He needs to, he needs time to adjust to the NFL game where He's really more just playing and not thinking so much. I think he's played a little slow just because he's trying to process so much information. I think, you know, we have to have a little bit of concern because I felt like the pick was a reach. But this was a, a pick that you make with the understanding that you have Preston and Darius Smith already on the team. You don't need him to come in and carry your pass rush. 
you need him to come in and, and just be a versatile chess piece for the Packers. And, and you know, in year one, does he need to play more than 40% of snaps? Probably not. So he's going to be given that time to develop as a player. I don't think anyone needs to be worried about, you know, how good or how bad he is this year for the Packers. The question is going to be year two, year three, year four. Does he make progress and, and show the kind of talent? Does he does he manifest that talent into something a little bit more on the field than he's shown to this point? All right, and, and I want to ask you some stuff about the Bears, but one more about the Packers, and and that is Mike Daniels, because obviously he's he's been a great player for the Packers for for many years. Everyone knows how good he is. Now, now you and you were kind of talking about you know Mike Daniels and what he might be able to do with some of the the free agents and some of the guys the Packers put around him. Uh, it, this this off season, but then when the Packers decided to move on right before training camp, you kind of shrugged your shoulders and said, "You get it." So it, with Daniels, is it more of they had to move on from him, or he's going to be a big loss to the defense? Because you're kind of on both sides of the fence, if I'm honest. Well, I think you know I think both are true. So I'll I'll, I'll clarify my position on Mike Daniels. I, I thought that Mike Daniels. Um, was still going to be a, a useful player. I thought he was still going to be effective, and I thought playing fewer snaps, um, you know, with Zadarius Smith able to play inside, that was his best position as a pass rusher in Baltimore was inside. I thought Rashawn Gary could play inside on passing down. Kenny Clark can provide some pass rush. Uh, I thought that, that that was, you know, really to Mike Daniels' benefit. He could play fewer snaps and be fresher as a pass rusher. What I understood from the Packers' perspective was if he is going to be relegated to that kind of role, then he's not worth the money they're paying him at $13 million for 2019 in the last year of his deal. So what I understood was Green Bay saying, look, if we think we can get similar production from Zadarius Smith, from Rashawn Gary, then paying that money for Mike Daniels doesn't make sense. So they tried to trade him. I think the one year of the contract at that number made it prohibitive for them to find a deal. You know, and I think there is, there is probably some level of, of like, we're not going to trade Mike Daniels for a sixth round pick. I think they thought they, they wanted to get what they could for him. They weren't able to get anything. And my understanding is despite the reports that uh, Mike Daniels, the, the lions were willing to pay more than, than anyone else was seriously offering for him. Uh, I, I feel like they probably should have gotten some value for him, but the idea that they didn't want to pay what he was worth, given that they thought he was going to be mostly a sub package player or a more limited player than he was in years past. That part is what made sense to me. All right. And, and let me ask you here about, uh, you know, I, I, I can't not do a conversation here and not talk about Adrian Amos yeah. I think that was. I think that kind of launched you into Bears Twitter hate. Uh, you know, I, 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 you, you went at it back and forth with a lot of people, including myself. Um, now, 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 my Amos stance, just to be clear, is he's a he's a good football player. He was not a necessity for this Bears defense. They had several players I felt more important than he was, and I definitely would not have paid him the kind of money that the Packers paid him. I thought he he is a he is a piece on a good defense. That he does not elevate a defense. Now, I, I know you had some comments where you said that you thought Amos basically, you know, lifted Eddie Jackson. My response to that would be that Amos had a, a decent rookie year, had a dreadful second year to where he was benched, and they signed Quentin Demps because they did not think he was a, a starting caliber player. Eddie Demps gets hurt, Eddie Jackson starts, and Eddie Jackson is the one who elevated Amos, and I fear that Amos may be 
exposed a little bit in, in the Packers defense, not having a guy. Now, I think Darnell Savage eventually going to be a good safety, but not having a guy like Eddie Jackson next to him because to me, Amos is a guy that if this was 1988, he'd be a, a Pro Bowl, All Pro player. He he fits that style, but moving forward, he's got you know he he's a he's a solid tackler. He gets great PFF grades because he's where he's supposed to be, but he doesn't make plays on the ball. He's not a guy who's going to pivot a game due to a defensive play, which is what I think you need in the secondary because defenses are going to give up yards in the modern day NFL. It's just the way it is. So you need players who can make plays and pivot a game back to your team, and I don't think Amos can do that. So the the thing about where I think this, and I'm actually writing about this for, for uh, Packer Report, which is part of 247 Sports. Um, in, in fact, this will, piece will come out on, on Wednesday, so it may be up by the time you listen to this, uh, about the, this, this safety's exchange for the Packers and the Bears. And what I think can be simultaneously true is that Amos, as a Bears defender, is non-essential and that Clinton Dix will be better because of the players around him than uh, he was in Green Bay. I think that's now, fair. What I find interesting is the, the rebuttal from Bears fans has always been, well, you know, Amos was the 10th best starter on this defense. Okay, well, the defense is loaded. It's really good. It's like being the least famous person in the Rolling Stones, right? <laughs> like, you're, you're still in the Rolling Stones. So, or, you know, if he's Ringo Starr in the Beatles, I think you're okay. The, the difference is I think that, you know, Clinton Dix was the 10th best player on the Packers defense last year, and they were a bottom six defense. So uh, what I think that, that Bears fans, I think Bears media, and I think even the Bears team is underestimating is the impact of the negative plays. Because the last two seasons, and I was a huge Clinton Dix fan, I, I thought he had all pro potential. He had a Pro Bowl season in 2016, and then, you know, there are you know Aaron Nagler who who started Cheesehead TV. His his sort of uh, take on this is that the from the game after Clinton Dix was announced as a Pro Bowler in 2016, he's been he's just gone straight downhill. And the last two seasons, his tackling has been an abomination. He does not play physically at all. He takes poor angles. He gives up way more plays than he makes. And it's like, okay, I understand if you want, if you want to say a high-variant safety is fine because, to your point, you're going to give up numbers. You're going to give up yards. That's just life in the NFL. My counter to that would be then – why wouldn't you want a player like Amos who is going to limit those yards? He's not going to let 10 yards turn into 30 yards. You, 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 Clinton Dix was so bad last year, despite the interception numbers, that two different teams gave up on him. That is not a place where you want to be as a player. And I don't see the defense around him adding enough to take away from the, the times when he's just going to take a terrible angle on the ball. And so when you compare him to what you're getting from Adrian Amos, what I, what I meant when I said that Amos lifted Jackson was I felt like Amos always being in the right place at the right time, to your point, allowed Eddie Jackson to take some gambles. It allowed him to roam. It allowed him to read the quarterback's eyes and, and make those splash plays. That's where he is so, so, so good. I would never mean to imply 
that Eddie Jackson is great because of Adrian Amos. No, Eddie Jackson is just great. Amos allows him to be fully unleashed in a way that someone like Clinton Dix just won't. And so when I look at, you know, Amos coming into the Packers defense, is he going to uplift them from the 26th or the 28th best defense and make them a top 14 defense? No. But can he be a steadying force in the secondary? Can he, on a defense that struggles to tackle consistently, be a consistent tackler? Can his steadiness open up opportunities for guys that I think can be stars like Darnell Savage and Jair Alexander? Yeah, I think he can do that. So I think it can both be true that Amos was expendable in Chicago and considerably more valuable to Green Bay and the case that the Bears will not be hurt in a a significant way by Clinton Dix because the players around him will elevate him, but that they down, they downgraded in an, in a not insignificant way, in a meaningful way, even if it doesn't mean that they suddenly go from the number one defense to like the eighth or 10th defense. Yeah. And and look, and I think bears fans recognize where Clinton Dix has flaws. And I saw him play obviously last season. He was dreadful with the Redskins. And, and I think, you know, being back, you know, with his his friend Eddie Jackson, and being a, surrounded by a lot of, a lot of players, and a, a team that has a lot of high energy and 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 puts in a lot of work, that hopefully that's something that's going to to play off on on Clinton Dix. And if it doesn't, I do think. Look, I don't love Dion Bush. I do think he's kind of a poor man's Amos and can just be kind of a steady, decent guy. If Clinton Dix is a disaster, but I think that putting Clinton Dix in a position to succeed, which I think is what Pagano is going to try and do is take advantage of what he can do well and make plays on the ball and try and put him in, in those positions where, you know, they're going to shy away from maybe a fuller or Eddie Jackson and maybe Clinton Dix is going to be able to see more opportunities. I think that's where the bears are trying, trying. And if it doesn't work out, I think they've got a steady guy in Bush that can, you know, keep it going. Bush had to play for, for Eddie Jackson, you know, the last few games of the season, and he did an okay job. So I, I see where you're coming from, but I think where the where a lot of the Bears fans are, if you're talking about a couple million for Clinton Dix or nine million for Amos, that's that's where the discrepancy is. Well, and I think it, it can also be the case, right, that that Adrian Amos was not worth nine million to the Bears, but could be to the Packers. When you're talking about his impact, I mean, I, I think it is probably the case that Amos was the, the eighth, ninth best, more, most important player uh, on that defense. Uh, I, I probably quibble with 10th, uh, but, you know, and, and that he could be the fourth or fifth best on the Packers defense. Well, that's worth a lot more to Green Bay relative to Chicago, right? And, and not being able to re-sign someone like Cody Whitehair if they have to pay Amos. That's the that's the trade off that that Chicago is making, and I think that's a fair a fair assessment. It is it's also true that Chicago would have liked to have Amos back, and they did try and sign him. They were interested in signing him. They just weren't interested in paying what Green Bay paid, and Denver was interested in signing him. His old coach Vic Fangio, uh, but it was very clear that Amos was Green Bay's number one priority in the offseason. He signed, you know, at the stroke of midnight, basically. And uh, based on what I've been told and what has been reported is Denver and Chicago basically realized that this was happening and, and didn't negotiate with him once free agency opened because he was it was a done deal in Green Bay. So I, I think uh, you, you certainly make the case that, that both teams got what they wanted in terms of Green Bay got a player that, that vastly improves 
the position compared to what they had last year. And Chicago didn't overpay for a player who probably doesn't materially impact the outcome of their season. All right, let, let me get. I end up. You, you've been given some some good lengthy answers. I don't want to keep you too long, but I do want to get to a couple more here. Chicago sure. Bears, the 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 running game. What's your thoughts on the subtraction of Jordan Howard and the addition of David Montgomery? So, this was a this was one of Bears Twitter's favorite takes of mine. Um, and I, I thought Jordan Howard, and this is something I've, I've talked with Lauren Cox, who hosts uh, Locked On Bears, uh, one of my my brother. Uh, shows on the Locked On Podcast Network that I felt like the one flaw that I saw from Matt Nagy last year, and I love Matt Nagy, the coach. I love Matt Nagy, the play designer and the play caller. Uh, I thought the one flaw in in the, the Bears offense last year was running back deployment. I felt like they could have used Jordan Howard more. I felt like they could have been less predictable. It's up to the, the coach to put his players in a position to succeed. And I just find it interesting that the defense for moving Howard was, oh, he doesn't fit Matt Nagy's system when he was traded to a team coached by Doug Peterson, who also comes from that Andy Reid uh, offense. Now, they're, they're not the same offense, but it's the, the same bones. And I felt like Tariq Cohen could have been getting the ball more. I felt like they could have handed the ball off more. I felt like, especially in the games that Chase Daniels played, I don't know how you justify throwing 36 and 39 times in those games when you have two capable running backs, uh, I'm, I'm fascinated to see what, what plays out here for the Bears because they spent really more effort than anything else on revamping their run game. They, they added Mike Davis, who is a fine-ish player. Um, you know, we talked about the, the trade of Jordan Howard, and then they traded up for David Montgomery. I am, am with analytics Twitter and, and the people who, who run the numbers on these things. I don't think running backs matter enough uh, to justify spending on them. I would not have traded up for any running back, much less David Montgomery. And, you know, I have, I have concerns about Montgomery as a player and his, his effectiveness in the NFL. I think they're going to feed him, and I think that's the right thing to do. Um, I think he's going to make plays in the passing game. What I don't understand, and, and you know, explain it to me if I'm missing something. But why spend an offseason uh, adding players to subvert the impact of someone like Tariq Cohen, who I think, you know, he doesn't have to be an every-down player to be really impactful for your offense. I mean, why can't Tariq Cohen be Danny Woodhead? I just I don't see why, with as dynamic as he is, you wouldn't feature him a little bit more in this offense. You ask any Packer fan which player on the Bears offense terrifies them most. 90% of, of Packer fans will tell you it's Tariq Cohen. Well, and, and, and here, here's what I would say to that. And I think Cohen, Cohen is a weapon. That, that's kind of how I look at it is he's not a running back per se. He's a weapon. He's not, he's not the guy who's going to line up behind Mitch Trubisky and get 22 carries and catch eight balls. You know, he's 5'7". He's, he's, he's not going to survive. So Cohen is a guy that you need to put in positions to succeed and, and, and split him out. The Bears are going to continue to use him more and more and split him out in the slot and do more creative things with him. I don't think they want to limit him. I just don't think they want to overexpose him. And what I think, Nate, and, and where I will say this with the Jordan Howard thing getting traded to the Eagles, uh, and, and, and someone told me this, and, and, and I would tend to agree with it, Matt Nagy, you know, and he's, he's a, a, a young coach, he wants the guys that fit his vision. Jordan Howard didn't fit his vision. They tried to do the square peg in the round hole. It did not work at all. 
So, you know, Howard had his worst season. Maybe he rebounds with Philly. But at the same time, we see Philly trade for Jordan Howard and then turn around and draft Miles Sanders. So clearly the Eagles were not looking at Jordan Howard as their feature back. They were looking at him. You know, Doug Peterson is a guy who was able to utilize LeGarrette Blunt. He can do types of things with those running backs. Maybe that's something Matt Nagy needs to learn. But at this point, Nagy wanted, and I hate to use this because of everything that happened with him off the field, but Nagy wanted his Kareem Hunt. You know, that guy that he can just perfectly fit in the offense, can catch some balls out of the backfield, is far more shifty and elusive. That's the type of running back he's looking for. Jordan Howard's more of a north-south kind of guy. He's not the guy who's going to, you know, make make defenders miss, really. Maybe he'll try and run through tackles, but that's not exactly, you know, Davis can do that a little bit. So I think that's where they're trying to go with the running game. And I think if Nagy gets the running game going more with a guy like Montgomery that fits what he wants to do better, I think that can elevate this offense significantly because with Trubisky still learning and I think he's getting better and better I think most Bears fans would agree I don't know if the national media does but with Trubisky growing getting that running game we all know how great uh, it is for a young quarterback to have a running game they didn't have it with Howard whether you want to blame Nagy you want to blame Howard that's up to you know in Bears fans that are split on that a lot of Bears fans love Howard and didn't like how Nagy utilized him to me I thought it was more of a lost cause with Howard for multiple reasons that I don't need to get into now but I think with Montgomery if he fits what Nagy wants to do and really can elevate this running game if the Bears offense gets elevated because of their running game then suddenly they have something that can, you know, work with their defense far more and whether or not they improve in terms of record cuz 12 and 4 is tough to beat, they maybe even go 10 and 6 and 11 and 5 but they're a better team because of it. Yeah, and I guess I'll add that part of my my issue with um, you know, the the switch there from from Howard to Montgomery is I don't when I watched him at Iowa State and I studied him I didn't see a player that that was really that impactful in the passing game outside of pre-standard running back stuff, screens, swings, checkdowns. He's not going to be Le'Veon Bell and get split out and and do that kind of stuff, or at least he said it was not something he showed consistently at Iowa State. Now, I know that his coaches there said, you know, he's one of the best route runners on the team. He's one of the, he has some of the best hands on the team. That's great. Then why didn't you use him more there? Uh, I, I felt like he was a pretty one-dimensional player um, in the same way that Jordan Howard was, which, you know, I, I think that was something that I said that got taken out of context a lot. But I guess I don't see Kareem Hunt when I watch David Montgomery. I know a lot of other people do. So that was something I felt coming out of, of Iowa State. That had nothing to do with, you know, him being drafted by the Bears. I thought he was one of the five or six best running backs in the draft. Uh, but there are people that thought he was the best running back in the draft. I didn't. So, you know, my my viewpoint on this and, and how much they're going to be improved in the run game is colored by the fact that I just don't think Montgomery is going to change their offense that much because I just don't think he's an explosive player. I think if there's four yards blocked, he's going to get you four, maybe five, six yards if he breaks a tackle. I worry about guys who have to break as many tackles as he did because of the lack of explosiveness, which is – was my main criticism and continues to be. So I'm I'm fascinated to see what he does in the Bears offense because Matt Nagy is going to create lanes for him, is going to create openings for him, and to see how much he can create off of that is going to be, I mean, I, I think you'd agree, an essential 
a contributing factor to how much progress this offense can make in 2019. I agree 100%. Montgomery, the, the leap of Trubisky and the establishment of David Montgomery are the two biggest keys for the Bears offense this year. I just want to get one more with you, and that is Chuck Pagano, because when you were talking, you know, coaching search for the Packers and you kind of brought up Pagano and you seem to be kind of positive, like that, like that might be a, a potentially a good way to go for Green Bay. But as the Bears defensive coordinator, you've seemed to be pretty critical. So that's that's another one. It seems like you've been on both sides. So how about you clarify your stance on Chuck? Sure. So what I said was um, that that Chuck Pagano, the, the defenses in Indianapolis improved. And that's true. And, and the best they were able to do was sort of middle of the path. I, later, I said that his defenses in Indy were mostly terrible. Uh, that was probably an overstatement. And not probably, it was. It was an overstatement. Um, it, was, it was an overstatement sort of for, it was hyperbole because I was trying to prove a point. Um, just that, you know, it, it's not like he was great in Indianapolis. I didn't think he was. I didn't think he was a great option for Green Bay. I, I made it clear all offseason that I thought that Mike Patton was the guy that they should be trying to keep. Um, I was I was really impressed with what I saw last year, early in the year when they were healthy, and, and you know just from a from a, you know what he what he says and the, his approach to the game. I'm I have been a big fan of. By the way, I I wrote last offseason that they should move mountains to try and get Vic Fangio in Green Bay. So. Uh, I, I am a huge fan of Vic Fangio, and that is why I said I think that Chuck Pagano is going to be a, a materially important downgrade from Vic Fangio. Um, I think Chuck Pagano is a fine coach. That's it. I think he's a fine coach. So that is that's sort of where I am on that. I, I, he when he had good players in Baltimore, the the one year he was a defensive coordinator, he had, they had a really good team. Uh, when they had better players in Indianapolis, they had a decent team. The Bears have great players. Uh, my point is, I don't think he is going to be the reason that defense is good this year or next year or the year after. I think it's going to be the players. And if anything, he is a schematic uh, down, not schematic, but I think just sort of as a tactician, a downgrade from Vic Fangio. And, and look, uh, Matt LaFleur, Sean McVay, and Kyle Shanahan all agree. They said Vic Fangio is the toughest coach in the league to prepare for. Uh, defensively. So I think Chuck Pagano is a fine coach. I think the Bears defense will still be really good under Chuck Pagano. Uh, and I, I, just, I felt like he was being unfairly criticized by Packer fans. But I also feel like I, I probably uh, at various times was a little overly critical of him to try and prove a point usually in response to someone else. Okay. And, and, and I would say I think I think Fangio is a better defensive coordinator than Chuck Pagano. I do think Fangio is a bit overrated, and I don't mean that in a, in a negative way. Obviously, it's going to come across negative. But I, he, like I said, he's very good, but people put him on this like wizard wizardly level. And the bottom line is, with defenses, you need talent to win. And if you look at Chuck Pagano's or Chuck, if you look at Vic Fangio's career, when he has the talent, he turns in these top five, top ten defenses. We saw it in San Francisco. We saw it early on in Carolina. But when the talent's not there, when he was there with the Colts, when he was there with the Texans, when he was there early on with the Bears, his defenses aren't very good. So there's only so much you can do schematically if you're Vic Fangio. Now Pagano doesn't have that that scheme where the offenses are going to 
you know, he's not going to be able to disguise quite as much as maybe Fangio does or confuse an offense. But what he is going to do is he's going to be more aggressive. He's going to go after the ball more. He's going to go after the quarterback more. And with someone like Khalil Mack, with someone like Eddie Jackson, that could be a marriage that works just as well. So we'll have to see. But before I let you go, I got to ask prediction. I'm going to put you on the spot. Soldier Field, Thursday night, the whole world watching who's winning. So I, I have said uh, and will continue to say, as I said earlier in the show, I think the Bears are the favorites in the division, and that, that's why I think the Bears win on Thursday. Um, but I won't be surprised if Green Bay wins. That's sort of, I think these teams are that close. I think it's going to be a close game. I think it's going to be a very fun game. And I think there is, there is a potential that it is like 17-14, and I think there's also the potential that it's like 31-28. Uh, this, there are so many outcomes here. Uh, you know, if the Bears are committed to the run game and, and they want to play that kind of slow it down, grind it out style of game, yeah, 17-14, maybe Green Bay's offense doesn't click right away. I think it's going to be tough to gauge either way because there's going to be so many unscouted looks. Green Bay is going to be, you know, basically entirely unscouted uh, because Aaron Rodgers didn't play in the preseason and Green Bay didn't really show anything. It's going to be fast in that first quarter there could be a lot of points in the first quarter because you know Matt Nagy is going to have unscouted looks, and Mike Mike Patton is going to have designer blitzes, and Chuck Pagano is going to have designer blitzes, and it's it's going to be fireworks. It's going to be awesome, uh, and I think yeah, I think the Bears win, but I think it's close. And like I said, I, I will not be surprised uh, if Green Bay wins. All right, so there there he is, SB Nation, Locked On Packers podcast, Peter Bukowski. See, we can have a civil discourse. We can we can have a conversation. It's possible, but but just well, just it's it's possible when we get a half an hour to talk on Twitter. It's not always the best. It's not always the best medium. It's not always it's not always a place for nuance, as you know. So so when I promote the podcast, I can say Peter Bukowski, who said the Bears are the team to beat, and he predicts the Bears will win on Thursday night. Yes, and and you know you, you add whatever other you know flame thing you want in there. Just you know, Peter Bukowski said this. Can you believe this guy again? <laughs> All right, Peter. Thanks so much for hopping on the podcast. Uh, have yeah, have a great season. All right, take care. All right, there he is, Peter Bukowski. A lot different in person than he is on Twitter. That that's that's for sure. I mean. Like I said at the end of there, the Bears are the team to beat, and he's picking the Bears to win on Thursday night. Peter underscore Bukowski on Twitter would not be saying that, at least I don't think so. So got got some clarification on some of his more controversial tweets. You know, he, he you know Pete he seems to toe the line a little bit and kind of give both sides of the argument there, but but a, a far more uh, civil conversation than than Bears fans and him have had on social. Media. So that's going to do it for Bears banter. We've got the Packers game coming up here. I'm going to say that the Bears are victorious. I'm going to say it's a little more offense, and I'm going to say Chicago wins 31 to 20. We will talk to you next week after a hopefully Chicago Bears victory against the Green Bay Packers. Talk to you then, everybody. Bear down. Adios.